reading, scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then both of them, their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig trees together and they made coverings for themselves. And the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. When our girls were young, ages, you know, two, three, one of our favorite games to play was, was hide and seek. And if you haven't played it in a while, and many of you are adults, you probably haven't, it's a very simple premise, someone hides and someone seeks. So I would usually let them go first, and, you know, they're like three, so they'd put their hands over their eyes and stand in the middle, and they'd count to ten because they were three, and they'd be like, one, two, five, seven, nine, ready or not, here I come. Now, in the Rosenstill home, there's no easy victories, so I hid well, deep, deep in closets, places that no three-year-old would ever think to find me. So you'd go like 10, 15 minutes to the point where they would start to get nervous, like, Daddy, Daddy, it's not funny anymore. Dad, come out. There's no participation trophies in the Rosenstill home. You got to earn the victories. It's character. So eventually they'd find me, often in tears. And then I would go, and because I'm a grown man, I would count to like 50. And so I'd count to 50, give them plenty of time, hands over the eyes. I'd be like, ready or not, here I come. And early on, invariably, I would immediately hear, here I am. <laughs> and then sometimes right at the beginning, I'd be like, ready or not, here I come. And I'd find them standing in front of me in plain sight. So I'd have to sit down because I'm uber competitive. And be like, look, you can't hide in plain sight. You can't tell me where to find you. See, kids, you got to teach them how to hide. The sad thing is they learn pretty quickly. And they learn how to hide from all of us adults. We're going to learn today in relationships that it is so key for us to be vulnerable, for us to come out of hiding. So turn with me to Genesis 3. That's the passage I just read. If you have your Bibles in front of you, there's always Bibles available. You can... Find it online, obviously. Let's review these first couple weeks. We're in a, the second week of a seven-week relationship series called Together. And these first couple weeks will really serve as the foundation for the series. So let me review if you missed last week or even if you were here what we, what we talked about. 
We went to Genesis chapter 2, kind of the second creation story, and we, we discovered that while there's a lot of things good about creation, there was something that was not good. And the thing that was not good was that the, the human, not the man or the woman, this is prior to that, the human was alone. And God said it is not good that the human's alone because we're not meant to be alone. We're made for relationship. We are better together. And then we looked at kind of three principles that will guide us through this series. We'll return to them again and again. The first one was that at the center of the universe is a relationship. God is three in one. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. God is a relational being at the core of the universe. We talked about that Greek wedding dance, the, the perichoresis where multiple people are holding hands and interlocking and dancing together and they get going so fast they just seem like an one entity. It's a dance of love and that is a small glimmer of what is happening at the core of the universe. God, three in one, is inviting all of us into that dance of love. Secondly, we talked about we need more than God. And that sounds heretical on its face, but it is wholly biblical. Because God was with Adam in the garden. Things were perfect. He had God right there. They were doing life together. Everything was great. And still Adam was lonely. And God said, that's not good. God could have created the universe another way. He created it in such a way that we need God foundationally. Absolutely. But we also need others. And then finally, our, our mission statement around here is follow Jesus, share his love. Following Jesus is not a solo endeavor. It's nowhere in Scripture. It's all about community. I know introverts. I'm one of you. I hear it. It's tough. But that's unequivocally clear. God launched the whole program of salvation with a family and then a nation and the church, the called out ones. Everything's done in community, not in isolation. There's 59, 59 one another statements in the Bible. I shared with you last week in vulnerability that I am a loner, only child. I am an introvert. Uh, Being around people all the time drains me. I heard from a ton of you I'm not alone in that. And yes, I struggle with some loneliness right now in my life as well. And I share that the goal of this series is not to put shame on the heads of those of us who are more loners or those of us who are lonely. The goal of the series is to call all of us to community. Because I so deeply believe that we are better together. And that's the model that God has put forth into the world. That we were created for relationship. That we're not meant to be alone. So this passage, we come to this passage and we ask the question, if we know that we're not meant to be alone, and we talked last week about the loneliness epidemic, it's, it's quite likely that loneliness is the number one killer in America. The BYU study, 15 years off the life of a lonely person, that's the effect that it has on us. And loneliness, remember, is not about the amount of relationships we had, it's about the amount of meaningful relationships. The amount of relationships that we are truly known and truly loved. And the recent survey showed 50% of us would say we're lonely. We don't have enough of those. So if we know that, if we have this loneliness epidemic that's taking 15 years off of our life, we see in scriptures this model of community, why aren't we in relationship? Why aren't we doing better as a community and a culture of seeking out to do life together. That's the question we're going to go after. And I think answer this morning. We find it in Genesis 3. So let's go back to the end of 
Genesis 2, we didn't quite get there, but it's important and informs the context of Genesis 3. If you remember last week, there's the human, and then God splits the atom. Thanks for laughing at that joke last week. That encouragement carried me throughout the week. Uh, so then God splits them, man and woman. And then this is, how God, this is how the author of Genesis describes that relationship. Genesis 2.25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's a key verse. This is how it should be when our relationships are right with one another. Here we are. We're together. I'm fully known, fully loved, not hiding. And that's kind of the prologue for our story. Genesis 3 is the first scene. The action starts. Lights, camera, action. And watch out. Things quickly come apart. We see a serpent slither into the scene, and the serpent is the embodiment of evil. So cue the creepy music and the dark lighting. Here comes the serpent. And then the serpent's first question. Already the serpent is just being evil. Did you see what the serpent asked? He said, Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat from the tree? Beware of anybody ever in life that starts with, did God really say? And so the serpent introduces this idea of doubt as to God's intentions towards Adam and Eve, the type of God he is. And this doubt, doubt in all of our relationships tends to dismantle our connected tissue and begins to unravel our relationships with one another. And you see it quickly happening in Eve's head and heart and Adam's head and heart. And Eve reiterates, she's trying to remember exactly what God told her. I think she knew but she didn't quite get it. She added to it. She changed it. She said, well, God told us we could eat from all the trees, not the, except for the one in the middle. And if we touch the one in the middle, we'll die. That's not what God said. And it's important. God said, if you eat from the one in the middle, you'll die. Why did she change it? Why did she make, make God more rules-oriented and less like God? Something's already happening in her. And she's trying to remember. She's like, isn't that what he said, Adam? Adam? Where's Adam? Adam's hiding. <laughs> already. Then the serpent closes the deal and hisses, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And here it is, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The serpent gives a new version of the truth, fake news. The serpent subtly suggests that God is someone he is not, that God is someone that's petty and all about himself and self-centered. It's not the God that Adam and Eve had experienced so far, a God who knew them and loved them and provided for them. Now he's positioning God as this God that wants to keep them from being God. It should freak us out how easy it was for Eve and Adam to fall from that lie, because we're the same. So Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They did the one thing God told them not to. And the story presents it as the origination of this word sin that is a crucial story in all of our stories, a crucial point in all of our stories. Sin, as the scriptures talk about it, I define it as going our own way. Sin is when we disconnect ourselves from the source of life, which is God, and try to plug back into other things that are not God, and it doesn't go well. Sin is not taking God at his word. Sin is us trying to play God, trying to be God. St. Augustine talked about the effects of sin, once we go there, is that we curve in on ourselves. We become self-centered and all about ourselves. It's pretty ugly. Whereas our original design was to be curved outward, 
towards God and towards others. So sin causes us to hide and cover up. True life we have in God causes us to unveil ourselves and be vulnerable. You see it already happening. They're curving in on themselves. Sin is the breaking of the shalom, the peace that God had established between him and humanity, and between humanity itself. We're still sorting through the rubble of the bomb that went off in the garden. Suddenly the forbidden fruit, the very thing God told them would sever connections to life, become the thing they look to for life. They exchange life with God for a pair. Did it work? Was the serpent right? Well, of course not. Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Things have now come full circle. Did you see that? Genesis 2.25, they're naked and unashamed. Now they realize, like, whoa! And shame cascades down upon them. And they begin to turn on God and they begin to turn on one another. The foundation of their identity before was God's love and God's provision for them, which was freely given in grace. Now all of a sudden their identity comes from their performance and their appearance and their position in life. And then they hear someone walking in the garden. Uh-oh. God's, God's looking for them. And what do you think now, because of sin, what do you think their natural impulse was? Their natural impulse was to hide. Hide. That's what sin does to us. When we break ourselves off from the source of life, we hide, we cover up. It's the opposite of vulnerability. And God shouts out, where are you? Adam, Eve, where are you? God knew where they were. God wasn't lost. God's asking a deeper question. Where are your hearts? Where have they gone? I designed you to be in life connection with me. What have you done? Sin utterly ruptured their relationship with God and with one another. They begin to get evasive and defensive. They're casting blame. It was Eve's fault. It was the serpent's fault. Things are just coming off the rails. And remember from last week, that's what the Hebrew word of alone means. It means to be cut off. To be cut off from the very things that give us life. A not good thing has happened. But in this foundational passage, it's a pretty downer passage, right? But in it... We also see hope. Because the very thing that keeps us from relationships with God and others, the opposite's true. If we do the opposite, then we're invited back into relationship with God and others. And that's what we're going to explore for the rest of our time. Here's the key truth of Genesis 3 that I want us to focus on as a community. This line. Intimacy is experienced through vulnerability. Only when we come out of hiding can we be truly known and loved. Intimacy is experienced through vulnerability. Let's talk about that word, intimacy. It's a weird world. People get odd about it when you use it because it's got sexual connotations. It really has nothing to do with sex. You can have sex and be intimate for sure, but you don't have to. Intimacy as a word is a much more deep, beautiful word. It means to be close to or familiar with. The etymology of the world means inmost. And we were created to be in intimate relationship with God. The psalmist says that God wants to know our inmost being. And we were created to be in intimate relationships with one another. This is true for parents and children, brothers and sisters, friends, co-workers, people that we're doing life with. We're designed for intimacy. I define intimacy simply as to be known and to be loved. And when we're lonely, we don't have enough relationships where we're known and loved. That's what the studies show. 
And that's 50% of us at least. Genesis 2 reveals a world of perfect intimacy. Adam and Eve are connected to one another in intimacy. They're connected with God in intimacy. The world is connected. And then sin comes in and blows it up and absolutely ruptures it. And this word shame, which is a big word in the passage, immediately is an effect of sin. It's a huge thing in all of our lives. It's a German root of the word shame. And the German root means, at best you can guess it, it means to hide. Isn't that interesting? Three times in this passage, short passage, three times their impulse now to God is to cover up. And it's to hide and go into hiding. The very opposite of what they were designed for. What is the hope of our restoration with God and others? It's right there in the passage. Intimacy is experienced through vulnerability. And I define vulnerability simply as coming out of hiding. Coming out of hiding. Three things about vulnerability. This is such a key thing to our release. I hope that you'll see it. I hope that as I talk about it, you'll say, yes, that's true. I'm resonating. I'm feeling that in my relationships, the tensions. Three things about vulnerability from the passage. One, vulnerability starts with God. And this is what I mean. God makes the first move. Right there, if you're just a, a, re- a reader that's reading the story from the distance, you've got to be intrigued. How is God going to respond to this? His whole program for intimacy and relationships has come off the tracks as God's also a God that gives free will. Intimacy can't be coerced. It's a two-way street. Adam and Eve have to choose it as well. We have to choose it as well. So what, what's going to happen here? They, they do their thing. They've blown up shalom. What kind of God do we have? And we always should be asking that question. Well, I hope that you see and I hope that you're encouraged in this passage, that we have the kind of God that in the face of our sin says, where are you? John, where are you? And he comes seeking for us. He does this, and we should be encouraged, knowing full well what they did. He's still coming for them. He's still coming for you. He's still coming for me. Even though he knows full well the brokenness of our heart, he hasn't given up on us. Praise God. G.K. Chesterton was a British writer. He said the great lesson of beauty and the beast, which we listened to the overture from Pastor Mike a few weeks ago, is that a thing must be loved before it's lovable. The great truth of the story of Scripture is that we are lovable because we are loved. And our love is not contingent on our performance, if you behave well, if you're good-looking, if you have a good job. None of that matters. God just loves you. And God just loves me. And that's at the heart of this story. Vulnerability also starts with God because our relationship with God is foundational to our relationship with other people. If your relationship with God is sideways, if you're hiding out, if you're covering up from God, the same thing is going to be true in your relationship with others. You can't fake it. It's foundational. It's essential. The Apostle John said, we love because he first loved us. If we're going to be in intimacy with one another, we got to begin by responding to God saying, where are you? Right here. Right here. In all my ugliness. See, we, 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 we crave, we crave intimacy. And God's the only one that can give it to us. This. So it starts with God. Two, vulnerability, and I know you feel this in you. 
And if you, if you don't, then as I talk about it, I hope you will. Vulnerability is courageous. It's courageous. The Latin root of the word vulnerability means to hurt or to wound. And vulnerability is courageous because it's risky. You're putting yourself out there with no cover, and you probably will get hurt. Our, uh, our family has two dogs. Pastor Paul spoke a couple weeks ago, and he made the heretical statement that, that I'd like to correct, that, people, that dogs are not people. I just I find that hard to believe. I can't pl- prove that biblically, but I, I'm just kidding. But we are dog people. We love our dogs. We have two dogs, uh, Zion, who's a golden retriever, and Elvis, this guy. We have a picture of him. So, yeah, he's pretty cute. Uh, we, we, uh, Elvis was our first rescue dog ever, and uh, we don't know his full story. We know he came from California and uh, that he was in a kill shelter there and got rescued from a kill shelter and then made his way to Oregon where, where he's become part of our home and our family. Someone abused this little guy. You see his hair sticks up on the top of his head like the real Elvis. And underneath that hair, though, is all scar tissue because someone hit him on the head and split his head open. Someone hurt him. And so Elvis, there, there's, we, we call it his circle of trust. There's like six of us that's in, that are in Elvis's circle of trust. And those of you who have been to our house have had this experience. And he is the best dog ever created for the six of us. My wife says he's our therapy dog, and that is true. I never thought I'd cuddle a little white dog, and I do. He just licks me in the face, and I feel better about myself. And that grosses some of you out, I know. So he's wonderful for the six of us. If you are outside of the six-person circle of trust, he's a holy terror. And uh, you'll come over to our house, and we try to keep him at bay. He literally hides under things. And then when you least expect it, he darts out like a white blur and gives you a little nip on your ankle to let you know he's there. And we'll have people come over, and they're like, oh, what was that? Oh, that's our dog. He's saying, he's saying hi to you. <laughs> we, we can't be like Elvis. We tell him all the time. I mean, you obviously can't communicate like that to him. We're like, buddy, people love you. You have so much love to give. Most people are not going to hurt you. We're not going to allow that to happen. It's safe, buddy. Come on out. If we're out there as humans, barking, hiding, nipping ankles, we cut ourselves off from the very thing we need. We, we can't be like Elvis. Brene Brown, many of you know her. She's a shame researcher. She spent six years of her life and thousands of interviews digging into this shame. She has a talk that probably almost a decade old now, a TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability. It's been viewed, when I looked this past week, 45 million times and translated into 52 languages. Brene argues, and she does this for a living. She's got her PhD. She researches shame. She argues that shame is the fear of disconnection from other people. It's the fear that if you really knew me, if you really knew all my stuff, and if you knew beyond the stage presence, you wouldn't like me. You'd disconnect from me. Because who would really like this? So we cover up and we hide. That's instantaneously what was happening in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see it right away that they're covering up. Oh no, what if Adam knows? What if Eden knows? What if God knows? Brene says the measure of our courage is the measure of our vulnerability. And I think she's right. The, The Latin root of courage means heart. Vulnerability takes heart. It's gutsy because inevitably we can get hurt. And we feel that in our very bones. 
Vulnerability is one of the hardest things as I get older to do with, with anyone because shame fights it. That brokenness in us that's not fully redeemed fights it. We want to put ourselves out there. We want to come out of hiding. But we're like, oh, what if they knew? They're not going to love me. So run, hide. That's the voices in our head. And we hide in a lot of different ways. We hide behind our words and our work and our hobbies and our appearance and all kind of things. We don't put on fig leaves, but we put on other things to hide from one another. And it keeps us from the very thing that gives us life. Relationships where we're known and loved. I have done this throughout my life. I continue to do it. I feel this in my tensions with my marriage, with my children, with my good friends, with my coworkers. You just kind of keep people out there a little bit at bay. Because our deepest desires to be truly known and loved and our deepest fears to be truly known and rejected. It's horrifying for us to consider that. So we have these cards we play and we might play a few of them. Just put it out there, but we don't want to play all of them. Because we play all of our cards and people don't like us. And it keeps us from the very thing that gives us life. The only way back from this, the only way into relationships where we're truly known and truly loved is have the guts and have the courage to come out of hiding. And say, here I am. Here I am in, in, in all my brokenness. And that's what we want. We want to be truly known. We want people to know all of our gifts and the beauty about us. And we all have that. And we want people to know our imperfections too. And the deep, dark things. We want them to see both of those things and say, come on in. Bring it on in. I still love you. That's what God does for us. Now the courage step is to take that into our relationships with one another. Uh, as your pastor, I've been so deeply, deeply encouraged that I think the numbers, Hannah told me this morning, we have 150 people that signed up for Rooted. That's remarkable. Because maybe this will scare some of you away that signed up. It's an intimate experience. Ten weeks with people you don't really know. You're going to be talking about like heart stuff and getting, woo. It's incredible. It's the very thing that we need. And so for 150 of you to trust us and to step out and give ten weeks, way to go. I cannot wait to see what that's going to do to transform your relationship with God and one another. And there's like ten spots left. So maybe the step of courage today for some of you being like, you know what? I'm going to step out. Let's do this. Let's go. I'm going to have courage. And it is. Vulnerability is courage. Will we come out of hiding? That's the key to relationships in which we're known and loved. Finally, vulnerability is costly, but it is worth the cost. It is worth the I, I believe that in the core of my being. One of my favorite books to read to our girls and favorite books as a child and an adult is Velveteen Rabbit. You guys know this story? Written by Marjorie Williams back in 1922. She was a, a failed a, adult writer and she decided to, 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 to write a children's book and boy did she. If you, know, if you don't know this story, do yourself a favor, go home today. I think it's free online. You can find many versions of it and, and read it. It's remarkable. Uh, basically, I won't give away the whole story, but uh, a boy receives a, a toy rabbit for Christmas amongst many other more exciting gifts. So he grabs the toy rabbit and holds and says, oh, that's nice, and just puts it on the shelf and goes to all the more technologically savvy toys, whatever that was in 1922. And so the rabbit's sitting on the sh shelf, and the rabbit strikes up a conversation with another toy, a toy horse that's sitting on the shelf, the skin horse, 
And they have a long relationship, but this is one of my favorite points, and I think it informs our relationships and the tensions of vulnerability. And this is what uh, the, the, the horse explains to the rabbit. When the rabbit wants to know what it's like when you become real, when you're no longer just a toy, you become real to the, to the child. And he asks the question, does it hurt? <laughs> the, the horse explains, you become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges, who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, <laughs> most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and you're very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except to the people who don't understand. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That's the hope. All in that passage right there is the tension that we feel and also the hope. So eventually the rabbit goes on this unexpected journey. I don't want to give it away because it's remarkable. If you haven't read it for a long time, go read it. Please read it to your children. And the rabbit goes on this incredible journey of vulnerability and learns and discovers what real love is. Intimacy can only be experienced through vulnerability. Only when we come out of hiding, only when we come out of hiding can we be truly known and truly loved. Here's the deal. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? We just hide for the rest of our lives? That's really what we want to do? When we know we're made to be known and loved, we know we're lonely and it's literally killing us? What's the alternative? That's not a good alternative. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by C.S. Lewis. And I've sent this quote to so many people through the years in a moment of grief. I've gotten it back out when we've lost a dog or lost a family member or lost someone we loved. And I'll just let Lewis speak for himself because it's a remarkable quote. Lewis says this, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love, to love is to be, is to be vulnerable. Now, it's, it's worth noting, and I, 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 I want to make sure we kind of step aside and that you hear this in the room with this idea of love being courageous and love being costly and let's go for it and come out of hiding. The one caveat to that is when you're in a relationship with an abusive person. So please hear that. If you're in a relationship with someone who's abusing you emotionally and physically, don't be vulnerable with that person. Come talk to me. Come talk to us. We'll help you with that. To be vulnerable with an abusive person is not courageous. It's foolish. So don't do that. With everybody else, it's our only shot. It's our only shot to be fully human. That's the power of Lewis's quote. So when, when, you're, when, you, when you leave today and you're in the course of, of your life, I want you to to think back to me playing hide-and-go-seek with, with my girls. And how are you going to do life? Are you going to do life like me, where you hide really, really well and don't even come out of the closet when people are crying and yelling for you? Because some of us are doing life that way. That's not life. 
Or are you going to do life, hopefully, like my adorable little girls, where they're like, here I am. And they, they invite anyone and everyone to come and do life and relationship with them. I want to invite uh, Chelsea in the, in the band to come up. And we, uh, we found, uh, Chelsea found this pretty remarkable song. And uh, we do this sometimes, but this isn't meant for you to, to sing to. It's meant to be sung over you. And it's meant to be a prayer. Sometimes we sing songs, oftentimes, I think, and they can be fodder for our prayers. They can give us tools to pray with and words and concepts to cry out to God and we don't know how to cry out. And maybe this is one of those times we don't even know how to begin. And maybe this song is the beginning for you. So as Chelsea sings it over, may it be a prayer for our community, may it be a catalyst for our community. When God says, where are you? Will we? Will we have the courage to come out of hiding?
chose the cross and you 